Labyrinth. Come in. Ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to witness is no illusion. And now we got the bass banging from here to Buckingham Palace. They're all moving. Hi there and welcome to This Is Brendan 52, my Instagram live with the Nug and Nargang. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's it's a real fun talk. I uh, We did this on Instagram live. We contained it within the hour, which unfortunately I fucked up with Sway last week. But he's a great dude. He's super fun. He's super interesting. It's a great dude to talk about. Like, And it's a different perspective. It's uh, more of the comedy and entertainment side perspective. Hey Simon, we're fucking them up, turning them psycho. Everybody rock, let's bring the house down to rubble and dust, cause we'll be fucking it up. Somebody say you Once again, there will be a new episode tomorrow, episode 53, with Daniel Sun and the part one of the three part Maritimes uh, journey on Friday. So there is still more content coming to you. I apologize. I might take next week off until the conspiracy episode from the Maritimes. Or I might just pop in for a minute, but uh, yeah, thank you very much. Remember to check out Go Hard Pro on Indiegogo and at Go Hard PW on Instagram and Twitter. Doing all nighters, no days off, great hairs and a little bro weight loss. I predict, I predict, I predict, I predict. Disturbing London got the whole city panicking. I've been Nostradamus since my nip nip nigga. And lastly, once again, the GoFundMe link is at the bottom for one of my coaches, Chris Tidwell. His wife, Kelly, got diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and the GoFundMe's down there. If you can give anything, a share, a like, a donation, it, it will be all appreciated. Just send uh, thoughts and well wishes, and it will all... I'm very... I'm very gracious. If I can use any of this platform to send any good vibes to people and help them get along, I'm more than happy. If, uh, if any of you have GoFundMe links or... If you do uh, some sort of uh, like a party planning business or like you own your own business or something or you want to promote something, don't be afraid to message me. Remember, uh, I said it yesterday, I'm always saying my links are down below. Contact me. Don't hesitate. No question is too dumb. And if I don't reply immediately, I'll try to reply in a few days. I'm sorry. I'm actually trying to get like a schedule together. So more on that on Monday. I mean, two days ago because I haven't recorded it yet. You heard that yesterday. But remember, have a good morning, have a good afternoon, have a good evening, have a good night. Just have fun. Be safe. Stay safe. Stay sane. Stay healthy. Put a mask on. I love and appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for listening, downloading, subscribing. Rate, don't rate, whatever. Tweet it out, whatever. Uh, I might start giving away prizes. I don't know. But thank you very much. I'll talk to you all very soon. Tomorrow. And in this Instagram live. Thank you. Oh, I just realized I have to edit something up. Okay, okay. Enjoy. <laughs> I predict an earthquake up in here. Say yeah. I predict an earthquake up in here. Cause we throw bombs on it. Throw bombs on it. Just smash something. Yes, much for me. Hey, yes. Hello. That awkward moment of waiting for viewers, <clears throat> but also uh, not going to edit this out of the podcast. So, waiting for Nug to join this. Hello, uh, hello, Travis. How are you doing this afternoon? Arkham Knight 32. Hello, how are you? 323, three, sorry. How's it going this afternoon for you guys? Just waiting for Nug to join in today. If you have any questions for uh, Nug, of course you're fucking dandy, Travis. You're always dandy. How was uh, how was your uh, weekend match? How do I go here? Boom! That button. Cool. Sent the invite to Nug. Hello. Hey, buddy. How are you doing? I get along. How are you? I am, uh, I'm holding in there. I'm holding in there. Attaboy, attaboy. Uh, I'm gonna just start off. What's your favorite collectible behind you? 
Oh, um, every year I do the uh, Reddit Secret Santa. Okay. Where you just send random shit all over the place. And uh, this past year was the first time I ever got anything wrestling related. And all the guy asked me was who my favorite wrestler was. And I was like, that's such a loaded question. Do you mean now? Do you mean forever ago? Anyway, I said Bam Bam Bigelow. And I got a authentic signed picture of Bam Bam, like an autograph with oh the my God. authenticity certificate and everything. And I don't care if I ever get anything for Christmas ever again. <laughs> okay, then uh, that goes into... Uh... I'm going to start with a general... I'm going to do a proper intro to introduce Oh, you. sure. Oh, yes. Please. Uh, that's the only way I like to be introduced yes. is proper. <laughs> uh, so, if, because you're very much like me where stand-up comedy, you actually know real comedians and not just <laughs> who who starred with Adam Sandler in a movie 20 years ago. Yeah, I, I don't care about that. I actually care about the stand-up comedy part of it. So, if you were to pick one or two wrestling characters and stand-up comedians that if someone is like, okay, who's Nug? You're like, these are good representations. All right. Uh, a long time ago, I would have said Farley. Um, okay. Uh, and I mean, as far as wrestlers, when I was a kid, all I wanted was the big guys, like One Man Gang, Akeem, Bigelow, the Boss Man, Bundy, uh, Big John Studd. Uh, all those guys were like my you know, when we were playing wrestling out in the playground, everybody's like, I'm Hulk Hogan, I'm Junkyard Dog. And I'm like, I'm Bundy. Somebody's got to be the bad guy around here. <laughs> and, uh, but I'd also throw Roddy Piper in there because I also don't know when to shut up. <laughs> um, but comedy-wise, growing up, I, I, I mean, still, I listen to a lot of Carlin, George Carlin. But I also listened to, like, uh, my dad had this huge record collection. So there was a lot of Jonathan Winters. And okay. he did a lot of voices and characters and stuff. And, uh, gosh, well, the Smothers Brothers were a great duo. So I like those guys. So did and, you get into comedy through vinyl? Uh, through Yes. Uh, my dad had a huge record collection. A lot of uh, Smothers Brothers, Carlin... Jonathan Winters, uh, I want to say he had some Cosby records, which are now, gosh, I don't know what happened to them. Um, uh, but he also had like a crazy, like, my dad's record collection was a lot of comedy albums and then a whole bunch of 45s. So like my dad's got original Beatles and Beach Boys 45s in a stack somewhere. And 45s are like singles, right? Yeah. So they were like the, the long play records are, are played on a 33 speed with the tiny hole. Okay. Uh, and then the 45s are a smaller record with a much wider hole, and they're played at a faster speed, 45 uh, okay. revolution. revolutions per minute is what RPM stands for. So ah. my brother and I, very early on, were making mixtapes when we were, like, in grade three, just because we had nothing to do on an afternoon. And then we yeah. had this tape of, like, all these great songs. And Dad, Dad tended towards, you know, classic rock and older country music. And then my mom was classic rock but also like meatloaf and blondie so like she would put on bat out of hell and vacuum the house and we'd be just like in another room losing our minds dancing around to bat out of hell okay i think uh my mom was on the same uh same music taste as yours except i was very much not enjoying it until now because i heard it so much as a kid that now yeah. it's on my spotify and i'm like oh it's it's like i appreciate the backstreet boys now when oh. I was seven in, like, my elementary school dance, I'm like, ew, this boy band garbage. Whereas I'm like, yo, like, a lot of them pump me out. Like, it actually gets me excited. It's true, guys. I do want it that way. I didn't want it that way then, but I want it that way now. Well, I didn't know which way was what when I was seven. Well, how could you? You're seven. <laughs> well, so, funny story. A year later, trying to find uh, AAA on uh, TLN, I stumbled across Latin Lovers. So I didn't know what it was a year later. Oh, very <laughs> nice. See, it's all about learning. We learn something every day. So uh, what made you go? Because you're one of the few people, and I'm going to ask you about this more later on. Of, Please like, do. The fact that you are a professional entertainer, it isn't a side hustle you hope to make your career. It <laughs> is your career. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you... So like high school happens and then how do you spread off from there? So in high school, in my high school, I grew up in a very small town called Clinton, Ontario. It's over by Lake Huron. Uh, if you get to Godridge, turn around, you've gone too far. It's a I'm really only, small, it, it's- I'm only it's, there when I'm booked. 
I know. Uh, you go to Wingham. I'm south of Wingham. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, why I'm like. So, I think I know this place. I've seen yeah, it on you the should. sign. Yeah, I've been. Yeah, it says 3,200 people on the sign, but that's very, very generous uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but I, growing up there, um, I did my after-school plays. I was in the theater uh, stuff. But my school was so small that our our class uh, selection was very limited. And so uh, I, my theater, my drama department ended at grade 11. So like grade 12, grade 13, I just did the after school plays and whatnot. And there was no real theater. And then when I went to university, I went to York and I went for English because that's what you do when you don't know what you want to do with your life. And then there were signs for the building I lived in was Vanier residence and the building it was attached to is Vanier college and Vanier college has this little theater company called Vanier college productions. And they're not the theater department. They're not the music department, but they do musicals. And so when I saw the sign, I, it said, you know, come audition for the play. And I thought, Oh, rehearsals will be after school. I, I can do that. And so I went in and auditioned and I'd never really auditioned for anything before because in high school, the teacher just went, you're going to be in the play. And I went, all right. Uh, so I went to audition and they said, can you come back Wednesday? And I was like, there's more. And I'd never heard of a callback. So, uh, so then I go to the audition or to the callback and there's 30 some people there for like eight parts. And he's, the director is just, you know, having us get up, read scenes, uh, then pairing us differently. Like you read with this guy. Now that guy reads with this girl. Now these two girls get up and it was bit very mix and match, but there was another guy at the audition who also had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> and we instantly gravitated yeah. towards each other. I want to say it's this was like you looking around the room and you find that equal looking around the room and you're like, yeah, okay. We don't know what we're doing. Let's figure yeah, this out together. Yeah, I'm glad there's someone else here who has no idea what's going on. Uh, so anyway, so he and I gravitated toward each other and we were doing all these, scenes and then he lines us up the director lines us all up at the end and then says thanks and then we find out if we, and we both made the show Sweet. and we had uh instantly bonded and uh that was i want to say 93 and it was my first year and it was his second year and he just thought he'd audition for fun but weirdly that guy is john katucci who's on the food network and uh still one of my best friends ah so that understands and, that connection yeah now. so yeah so john and i ended up doing the next three or four years of vanya college productions after school uh after classes were over and we did straight up plays comedies i did some serious stuff some musicals we wrote our own show then we started doing sketch and improv and it was from that that John got into a group of five people. They were called, their sketch group was called Performance Anxiety. And then there was a, a group of four called Dead Kid Did It. And then there was me and another guy who were both sort of, sort of involved in all of it. And we watched a show once and we were like, he's like, how come you're not doing that? And I said, how come you're not doing that? And he said, why don't we do that? And I go, yeah, but only, <laughs> only two of us because it's too hard to get nine people together for a rehearsal. <laughs> And so then it ended up me and him, and his name is Perry Perlmutter. He still does stand up now. And Perry and I started a duo called Nugmutter. And then we started doing like weed open for John's group, who would open, who would be the middle for the Dead Kid Did It. And then Dead Kid Did It would open, weed middle, and John's group would headline. And pretty okay. soon we were all just rotating and all booking all our shows together. And then we did a show. There was a show at the Saturday, uh, Second City. And that you could book a Friday night show called the Midnight Howl. So the main stage show would go two shows and be over by 1130. And mm -hmm. at midnight, your troupe could book a show. And okay. so our, our troupe was two of us. And so uh, we got to do a show on the Second City main stage. And it was this massive stage at the time because it was at um, the old Diesel Playhouse. It became the Diesel Playhouse. But it was this huge wide stage. Okay. And there's just two of us. So we took the time in our tech rehearsal to go we'll do this scene over here and put the chairs there. And then we don't have to move the chairs for that. And we'll do this one down here. Ah. And the stage manager was our old stage manager from York. So he Ooh. knew all our sketches. So he was like, you do that one there, do that one there. Uh, and so just the stars aligning. It was perfect. Right. And then unknown, unbeknownst to any of us, uh, that was the night that NBC executives had come up from New York to scout the second city show. Ooh. So they were coming to watch the main stage show and find people for Saturday night live. Yeah. So their idea was, we'll watch the first half of the main stage show, and then at intermission, we'll duck across the street to Gretzky's and go have dinner, and then come back for the second half of the second show. Okay. But they missed the second half of the second show and caught us. 
And so they came back and were like, who are these two guys? And yeah. no, no idea. And then at the time I was working, I just started a full-time job and was going, is that your ringtone? Yeah, I was, no, it was my <laughs> dogs. I was hoping that you wouldn't hear that. Oh, this. no, no, uh, that's fine. I will, I will be back in do it, like do it, do a it. minute. Good, this is a great suspenseful moment. It's a perfect cliffhanger. <laughs> Please talk to Dragon Dad, and I think Travis is listening. Safety Travis oh, okay. says he met you at Union, and he really enjoyed your chalk line jacket. Oh, yeah. I have a bunch of those chalk line jackets. I'm, uh, it's a bit of a problem to have those chalk line jackets. Hello. Welcome to Brendon's podcast. Hey, I'm guys. here by myself. And uh, Dragon Oh, dude, look at that Bam Bam Wrestling Buddy. Yes, that's custom from the Gador brothers, uh, G-A-D-D-O-R. You can find them on Instagram. They do all sorts of stuff. They can't have a store but you can email them and message them and you can get stuff like that. There's an Akeem one over here as well. Uh, so yes, welcome to Brendo's show. Uh, my name is Nug, I'm the guest. I'm filling in while he's dealing with his dogs. Uh, so if you have any questions that you wanna know at all, hey, Kingdom, what's up, buddy? Somebody just said they met me at the Union show and that was Kingdom's show. So there you go. Kingdom just jumped on and said hi. So I, I plugged his show that that guy met me at. Hell yeah. Uh Okay, so yeah, the union, you ring announcer, right? I did, yeah, for that, yeah, I did. I've, I've done ring announcing at a few places, but yeah, that uh, that union show was great. I literally just opened up the back door and just let my dogs bark in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> They're enjoying uh, it. It's fresh air. It's a nice out. So the uh, the uh, set, the set, I just started. Uh, yes, I yes. started a full time job and I had moved and so I didn't have a phone at the time because we all okay. didn't have cell phones at the time. But I didn't have a phone. This and is I like ninety six, ninety five, something like that. And yeah. uh, I get to my full time job and my boss walks over and goes, "I have like fifteen messages for you on the, our office phone," and it was my sketch partner Perry. It was his brother who's an agent trying to tell me that Saturday Night Live wanted me for an audition and they didn't Ooh. and I didn't have an agent and I didn't have a phone and who how the hell do we get a hold of them <laughs> so I basically had to tell my brand new full-time job I'm gonna be gone for a bit and they're like okay and so I took off and I went and uh, I had a big audition and um the only other I mean other than the two other Toronto people who went were Mark Hickox and Jen Irwin and Jen's on Jen shows up on the Goldbergs every now and then now. Um, but the three of us were from Toronto. We were the only Canadians. And the only other person I knew was a guy from Chicago, Second City. And he was auditioning. And uh, that was Horatio Sands. And uh, th that was the year Sands and Jimmy Fallon got hired. Okay. Was that. that was the year I auditioned. And I remember both of us were much bigger. And we and Farley had just died. And the two of us were like, well, it's one of us because we're the only two big guys here. <laughs> and it was him. <laughs> so that was uh that's yeah, somebody i whenever i tell that story somebody will interrupt and go and did you get it and i'm like no i would no you would have heard uh it was what very... was that uh full-time job because you went to york for english right i went to york for english and then was doing all this comedy stuff on the side didn't know what i wanted to do and that full-time job i was working at the cnib the library for the blind okay. and i was i was i had moved from proofreading the stickers that we put on the tapes uh, to send to people to listen to McLean's magazine or whatever book they wanted. And okay. I learned, and I had learned Braille so I could proofread the Braille and I could proofread the- Do you still have this skill? I read it visually. I read it like Morse code. I, I don't. I don't read it with my finger. I read it, and I know there's like grade one, which is every single character has a every letter has a character, and yeah. then there's grade two braille where there are contractions. So there's like a symbol that means <laughs> ing or ed or lly or it's nuts. And you can read it like I can look, look at. at I can it. look at it and go, mm, yeah, okay. Wow. Yeah, it's a little. I'm a little off. I'm a little rusty now, but I still can do it. <laughs> It's like a little child that like grew up with another language, but didn't really speak it. It's like last summer when I went to Quebec, I cannot speak French very well. But if I hear it, I go, oh, cool. I know exactly what you're saying. That's me with my nana. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, audition, you try, you don't get it, but you're also still super young, right? Oh, yeah. I was young. Um and then I came back and that people were like, ooh, this guy had an audition. And then I got an agent and then I started, there was that part of me that was like, I don't want to go, I don't want to do it. Like I had a full-time job. Mm -hmm. 
and I don't want to do this. I don't want to try and make it as an actor full time because then I don't have money coming in because I know how hard it is. So I tried doing both at the same time. And then the first four or five things I booked were major things. Like I did a beer commercial for Miller Lite and it turned into four American national commercials that they only played on NFL games. And they wanted to take us around. The guys from the commercial wanted to, they wanted to tour us around to the different football games. And I was like, yes, I'm in. But then because we were Canadian, it became a huge hassle and they never did it. But I, but it was like the first few things I booked when I started actually acting full time was they were all really good. Wow. Were you always like, even as a kid, conscious of like, not just chasing a passion, go, well, I'm making money on this side, so I shouldn't just go in head first. Yeah, I think, I think there's always a part of me that's like, I like, I love it. I love being on stage and doing improv or hosting a show. And I love performing. But that doesn't pay very well. And you can't do that unless you have something to actually pay the bills. Mm -hmm. So all I've ever said about acting was I'd quit when it wasn't fun anymore. And that uh, I don't need to be a star. I just need to have a good enough career to pay the bills. You're that recurring guest star that, where do I know that face from? Please, yes. And I always <laughs> tell them summer camp. I, uh, they recognize, <laughs> where do I know you from? Probably summer camp. <laughs> Or my favorite, my favorite one, Catucci always used to use, which was like, oh, you met me at the wedding. And that's all you say. <laughs> well, he does seem like a wedding kind of guy, too. That, like, if you saw him at a wedding, he would stand out, but you're not too... Like a wedding crasher, like Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn. Well, I mean, and every Italian wedding has the same 200 people at it. Yeah. So I, I used to... When I... Our drummer buddies in Ottawa now, his name is Dave Pontello. Great jazz drummer. If you're in Ottawa, get Dave Pontello to be your drummer. When I was working with Pontello at a pub and... Katucci didn't know him and I just went oh you probably met him at the wedding and then they looked at each other and they were like were you at so-and-so's wedding and they were at the same wedding together <laughs> so my joke totally backfired Amazing. egg on my face egg on my face for sure uh kingdom asked how do you put up with Nug I mean with RJ <laughs> sorry how do I put up with RJ yeah uh you know it's like it's like having an uncle that tells you the same jokes all the time Okay. You know, you just, if you have a text message from them, you just sort of like, you, you get the same jokes, but with the, the words are rearranged or the topics, you know, yeah. it's the same joke, but about a different person. So sometimes I feed it. Like I just go, Hey, this thing happened. And I hear blah, 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 back and I know exactly what he's going to say, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's honestly not hard to put up with them, especially now it's all via text. It's not like we ever see each other or do anything. I, every now and then we get together for a coffee and we, go into a Starbucks, order our coffee, and then come outside and we just go for a huge walk until our coffee's done and then we both get in our cars and then we go home. <laughs> That's kind of cute, though. That's cute. It's fun, our little <laughs> coffee walk. It's very nice. Uh, so, uh, How did you get involved on the indie side of wrestling, then? Well, I, I love it. I, I love, I mean, I've loved wrestling my whole life. And then I was going to shows. I think the first, first ones I started going to were the old fight shows that Ashley yeah. Six used to put up. And so they, those were at the Transac. And I was living in the annex at the time. So walking Perfect. over to a show was not a big deal. But then when I was there, I would run into, I ran into RJ. And RJ was like, you're, an improviser i've seen you do shows and i'm like yours on tv also and i think you're mm. on tv and a wrestler and he was yes and so the two of us just started hitting it off and like chatting and it's just he was more interested in the comedy side of stuff and i was more interested in the wrestling kind of stuff and then when one of the theaters that i do shows at bad dog uh, bad dog offered classes like drop-ins so rj started i remember the... i actually messaged you about that because like john pollock and jason agnew were putting it over and this is like yeah. a decade ago when they had bite radio where it's yeah i knew about that and tried to drop in but yeah so go on with bad dog so, so he he dropped in a couple of times and i said usually they ask you who sent you like if or if i read about it or whatever yeah so they're like uh how'd you hear about this he goes oh nug sent me and then he does the class and any drop-in he went to, the teacher always emailed me and was like, where did this guy come from? Because there's two things about a drop-in class is usually you'll find the funniest guy at the bank who, like everybody at the bank, is like, you're funny. You should take a class. And then that's what he does. But it's also rare that, and, and I don't mind saying this at all, it's rare that a good-looking person is funny. 
Yep. And so RJ's a very good looking man and he's funny and the comedy community was not prepared for that. Yeah. And RJ fucks the, up a lot of uh a lot of molds. A lot of expectations. He walks in and you're like, "Oh, this guy." And then he opens his mouth and you're like, "What's happening?" Yeah. Um but anyway, he so he went like immediately from drop-in classes to like hey, uh, Nug, we need a team for theater sports. I'm like, I'm bringing RJ and my buddy Sean and we'll do it. And then RJ just started doing shows with us. And the whole time he's like, oh, I, I, am I ready to do this? And my favorite thing to say about it is, you know, uh, when people are worried about public speaking, they tell everybody, you know, just relax when you're up there and just picture everybody in their underwear. Well, you guys are in your underwear all the time. <laughs> so you've got that part beat. Yeah, it's the exact same stuff. Improv comedy is the exact same stuff you guys do, except it's verbal instead of physical. Yeah. So like if something goes wrong in a match, you guys can fix it on the fly. You're improvising, but physically with your bodies, yeah. something goes wrong in an improv show. We're fixing it with our mouths. We're getting, <laughs> digging ourselves into a hole and then either digging our way out or digging our way deeper. See, I always found like maybe it's because they were my two like hobbies. I, I was really into where it's. <laughs> I, I did magic, but with magic and music, it's very much, here is the plan, here's the routine, here's the set list. Whereas with comedy and wrestling, very much like you said, if you mess up, you need to figure out how to fix it on the fly. And yeah. in magic, if I'm trying to produce this card into your shoe and I didn't force the right card, I screwed that up. Whereas in wrestling, you don't know the card that I wanted you to choose. It's like, okay, well, I guess we're not finishing with the clothesline. I guess we'll do this instead. Yeah, that is the card. Ha ha, that's, that's right. That is the card. Like in wrestling, if that's not the card, you just say it is. Yeah. Whereas, like, so like, is, do you have a big story of, because uh, especially for improv, you're able to like kind of duke and dive a little bit more. Yeah. So, okay. So the first time I ever uh, got, involved well rj had me manage him against a guy at the bloor court outdoor shows just mm -hmm. outside a comedy bar he had he like he could be my manager and the guy was like grab my foot and whatever and so like it was very simple and i and i didn't mess it up and it was great and then the next time i got to manage i got to manage the goat brigade uh saber and uh kirk kirk warmack uh, kirk warmack against uh the frat and so okay. they worked they worked out their whole match and like and this was I was a last minute ad and so they worked out their whole match and forgot that I was in it <laughs> and so then right at the end I forget who it was but they were like uh just do this and so I, had, I had like three spots okay great and then at the end the idea was and I don't know why they I've had this pitch to me a thousand times I think I've done it a thousand times it feels like now <laughs> but uh the wrestler is coming to charge me and I go, oh no. And then I turn and ding the post. That's, yep. It's comedy 101. It's easy stuff. Yep, so you got a solid ring. I remember. Uh, oh yeah. My, my wedding Barry. ring hit the yep. post in Barry. Uh, so anyway, uh, I remember in this match, they come running after me and I go, oh, and I turn and, but the ring post is there. So like, it doesn't make sense that I've turned this way. And my body's like, oh, I can't turn back and run into the post. So I just ran. So I just started running around the ring. And I think Decker's chasing me and yelling, what are you doing? But in the most serious way. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, this wasn't what we said. And then I, and then Trent cuts me off the other way. And I just looked at Trent and went, oh, no, I better get in the ring. And he goes, okay. So I, I jump in the ring and he jumps in the ring and catches me. And he's got me by the, by the scruff of my neck. And he's like, I'm going to hit him. I'm going to hit him. And the crowd wants my blood. And they're like, hit him. And then he's like, I'm going to hit you. <laughs> and I go, okay. And I have, I have some good uh, stage uh, fighting training from a couple of shows that I've done, musicals and whatnot. And so he cranks me and I throw myself backwards onto the mat in a perfect, in a perfect bump. Yeah. Not knowing that's what I did, just knowing that's my stagecraft. Yeah. Make as much noise as possible. So I, boom, and the crowd goes, yeah. And then RJ's looking over a partition in the back with some other guys. And I don't know if it was Tarek or whoever. It looked at RJ and goes, I didn't know Nug knew how to bump. And RJ goes, he doesn't. Um, <laughs> but that, like, we had to figure that out on the fly. And then Trent picks me up and goes to throw me out. He's like, I'm going to throw you out of the ring. And my brain goes, I don't know how to do that. So I hit the ropes and then, like, pure comedy – 
get tangled in it and hit every rope, hit the thing and hit the apron and then hit the floor. And the crowd just loved it. And like, it, it was the first time I was ever managing and there was guys in the audience who were just saying the worst things to me. And I was like, oh, I, I guess I'm doing like first initially you're like, oh, that hurtful. And then you're like, oh no, wait, this is, this is what the job is. This is what I'm supposed to do. Von Vertigo with the uh, hard eye emojis. <laughs> Thanks, Bon. <laughs> so you and you and RJ haven't spent a lot of time together, but you guys did film something for uh, Backyard Pro. Yeah, that, that which was, was hilarious. It was so much fun. <laughs> like Vertigo asked me to do some stuff, and I did some audio, just audio for him. And then he immediately emailed back. It was like, I regret not asking you to do this on video. And I went, well, hold on. I've got nothing but time. So I threw a curtain up and just filmed a few things for the first one. And then when we did the second one, he's like, I'd love to get RJ involved. And RJ was like, sure. And so we went to my mother-in-law's backyard <laughs> and uh, set up the pipes with the drapes. And then RJ, we just shot everything in one day. And RJ just kept changing tank yeah. tops. <laughs> it was so great. It was so much fun. Uh, man. Uh, tall Chicken Boy, uh, Manfrey brings up his proudest moment as you announcing that he won the Greek Town costume <laughs> contest. Yeah, we had those costume contests for Halloween. Or no, for it, maybe just in general, we used to have those contests. Is uh, Greek Town like if you got to pick the perfect position you want in indie wrestling? Is it what you do at Greek Town, where you kind of help anywhere they need it? You're also like the social media commissioner, GM when needed. Yeah, it. I I don't like when. Uh, I mean, I think it's played out that an authority figure. Uh, ruins the show or they're into it for their own you know like Vince McMahon gets his hands in everywhere and plays the guys like puppets and I'm like that's not my that's not my thing I like you need an authority figure there just one person to go this is the match for the next show or if you two have a beef settle it in the ring somebody there to be the figurehead of the company and so I was announcing but then I was making those announcements yeah and eventually we're all like why is Nug making those announcements like <laughs> because he's being told like who who yeah. gave him the authority and then if they make me the authority you can get another guy in to announce and then I can run around and be the general manager but at, it turns out like at the show like everybody's in the dressing room which is not where the action is yeah so then I'll be I can run out and be around the ring and be in the crowd and talk to people and see what's going on and then sort of make my way back, give guys the heads up, they're going home, it's, you know, you have mm -hmm. three minutes left or whatever. And it helps to just have somebody like me running around letting people know what's going on. So it's worked out that while I'm the general manager, I'm also actually performing the functions of like a show producer during the show itself. I still, I still you know, answer to the people in charge yeah. What do I? What do you want me to say? Here are the five things. Okay, great. And like for me, I'm an improviser. I can remember those five things and go out and say them in my way. But you're also legitimately helping run the show, like an actual. Yeah, I'm kind of keeping it. Yeah, keeping it running. Yeah, like you're doing. I remember you doing like the Instagram stories of like the next guy coming out and stuff like that. And you actually, you're not just taking a photo. You're getting into it. You're going for the whole Instagram shots of like yeah. down underneath. Because if it turns out it's a guy. If it turns out it's a decent photo, you can use it. You can grab it and use it for later. Nine times out of ten, they're not because another guy stuck his head in it or is putting the rabbit fingers up behind your head or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, why not? If it's if it's good enough uh, to promote on Instagram and it turns out it's a good photo, keep it. You know, tag it, share it, let everybody know. Oh, man. I, I just – I, I know that like when you're in a locker room or you're not – you're in the locker room even if you're not on the show – but you'll watch and your genuine love of fandom of pro wrestling, like you haven't, you haven't gone bitter or anything. And like, I've been around where different situations where people go very little Paul Heyman, Vince McMahon-esque in Ontario and go, okay, you're gone. And you're like, okay, well, I'm going home. And it doesn't eat away at you. No, I don't. I, it uh, doesn't eat away at me. It's I'm doing it for fun. And uh, I'm also watching it as a fan and I'm, gen I'm genuinely a fan of pretty much everybody on any show I've ever been on. And I want everybody to do better. So I remember 
the there was one of the guys from the uh, Tyson's uh, I call them Tyson's kids. Yeah, but uh, the, they and they all wore the same color. They all had their little versions of the same outfit. They got they got their uh, young boy dark greens. Yes, the young yes the young boy dark greens. Well, now one of them's a surfer. Yeah, Kyle Boone. Kyle, Kyle. and I think like if you go to Tyson School, I think you're getting the fundamentals and you're learning how to do everything you need to do to be a wrestler. Yeah, and then if you can put a little character on top of that that's going to take you somewhere. And the fact that he picked a surfer from Ontario is great. <laughs> um, already great. But then he goes out there and does all that stuff. Like he yeah. does this. He's added the surf stuff, the beachy stuff to his character. And I yeah. pulled him aside and was like, I love it. Like, I love that stuff. You're not just generic wrestler. You are this surfer and it works and it's great. And if anything, like we used to tell Space Monkey when he first started, it's great. Be more monkey. Yeah, and so now I'm like, be more surfer, just over the top, crank it up. Someone well, will tell you, you it's too it much, back, right? Yeah, we don't know. As we say it in audition, I say it when I run auditions at York or when I'm there, uh, or even at auditions I'm on. I know how far I can crank it up, but they don't. So yeah. uh, when I'm auditioning, I'll give them the max, and then when they tell me to pull it back, and I do they go, oh, he can really follow direction. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm like, crank it up, show me you at a 12 out of 10. And yep. then eh, maybe we need you at an eight. Okay, great. I can do it. Because you've seen my max or my extra max. Now I can pull it back and be a little more grounded. I, I definitely under, one of my secrets is uh, when I do a seminar, I definitely do something either a little fast or something that the uh, trainer mentioned. And I will do it like 90%. There'll be one little thing that isn't at exactly what they said, just yeah. so that when I go back and they're like, okay, hey, we'll just fix this. I'm like, okay. And I fix it. They're like, oh, good direction taking. Because every other time of you just doing a universal, a drop down tackle, and it's, yep, rinse and repeat that. You're like, wait, they're, I'm just another guy in this lineup. What if I go a little slower, a little too fast? Okay. And so that little trick is definitely... I remember again doing a. I remember doing a um, workshop with one of the best. Like, there's an improviser. Uh, he's written books. He's a teacher. He runs the Annoyance Theater in Chicago. His name is Mick Napier. And Mick's written a bunch of books, and Mick is fantastic. Super into magic. He can do amazing mm -hmm. card tricks. But he he's very no nonsense about his improv, and I love that. And so when I had a chance to take a workshop with him, when I was just working with Second City early in the days. Uh, I took this workshop and I was like, I watched him give everybody notes. And my thing is, I like watching and soaking it all in. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, I haven't gone and I'm last. Like, that's usually what happens. <laughs> yeah. with me. So uh, at Mick's workshop, I watched him give these very pointed, perfect notes to all these people. And then I went up last with these other two guys. And he went, uh, guy A, uh, we did a scene, it was great. And he's like, guy A, two or three things with that guy. Guy B, two or three things with that guy. No, great. Okay, moving on to the next. And he ended it and we moved on to the next thing. And I was like, I, I want to know my notes. I want to yeah. know what I did. And then years later, Mick is directing a show that I'm working on at Second City in Chicago. And he's like, how long have I known you? And I go, oh, a while. And we shoot the shit a bit. And I told him that story about how we had this scene and I was waiting for my notes from Mick Napier and they yeah. never came. And he went, I remember that. You were fine. I had no notes. And I'm like, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> good, good to know. Like, I wished I would have known that then. Yeah. But we also, I, I remember doing auditions in Chicago for Second City and we, it was like 500 people auditioned and then 48 of us got a callback. And I was one of those. And I was like, oh my oh, God. Yeah. And then we get down to like a callback with 11 of us. And there was like four guys and seven girls. And on the way in, Mick went, hmm? And like, and I was like, oh my God, I'm doing great. And at the end of the audition, Mick was like, well, we're looking for women. Uh, we, we, had to have, <laughs> we had to have guys here to, you know, but we, you know, and I was like, oh crap. <laughs> but like, I still do stuff with them occasionally. So it's, it, I'm still on the radar and, yeah. and whatnot. But Mick was, Mick was always no nonsense with me and I always appreciated it. And so I try to do that when I'm, when I'm at those shows and I see something I like, I'm like, ah. Or when I see something I don't like, I go, uh, and I, and I, it's always very constructive. I never come to a, I never come with a criticism without a solution or like yeah. a suggestion of some sort. I never go, ah, that sucked and walk away. Yeah. I'm always like, it wasn't as good as it could have been. Maybe try this, maybe try yeah. this. 
you're very good on because you're a wrestling fan. You've seen so much, and because of that fandom, you know what you want to see also, or how you want to feel. So when you actually say, because I've been on the side where you've told me, why don't you try this and try this? And it's, I get it from you. And I'm one of the few people that I will ask everyone for advice. Yeah. Because if you saw my match, what did you think of it? If I'm at the merch table, I ask the fans, I take like informal surveys of what they enjoy on the show. And it's my way, because all of, all everyone's my fucking friend for the most part. So when <laughs> someone's yeah. like, when someone's like, oh, I like, Flares, I'm like, yeah, so do I. I think he's the best wrestler in the area. Like, stuff like that, that I'm just like, okay. And you're one of the examples I would show that. You're at almost all the Barry shows. You're at Union. You're at all these. You'll randomly pop up anywhere. So you're that guy of when I did the AIW seminar in February. And you gave me the heads up. Uh, you gave Magnum the heads up. I me. gave Magnum the heads and up. I was like, I know one guy at the thing you're running, and you need to watch that guy. And luckily, like, I didn't let your recommendation down. Uh, which so, I, appre I appreciated that. Yes. But that's also, like, I know that you cared enough and you had enough faith in me that you, I didn't ask you to put that out there. I just mentioned I was doing that, and you're like, oh, my God, and you reached out to Magnum yourself. Yeah. But when he was covering that, there's 15 people, and everyone's lined up for his critique. But there's also a comedian there, Steve Guy, and no one was lined up next to him, even though he was helping run that that portion of the seminar so i got to talk to him while 10 other people were getting critiqued on their promos and then mm -hmm. by the time i got to magnum a i had a rapport because of you and then b i was already talking to steve guy and even if he didn't notice i was talking over there i did that for my own benefit of there's another set of ears on me so what did they think it's another point of view and why wouldn't you get all eyes possible why wouldn't you get every angle on what you're doing yes uh, you, you're also, the first time I ever actually saw you was, uh, doing comic book, uh, reviews. Oh, with Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. You were a different, you were like three times the human being you are now. I was very close to 400 pounds. I was, uh, I took up a lot of space on that screen. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we, Andrew and I had shot a movie together and got along and realized we were both comic book nerds. And then that was when DC Comics, like, scrapped all their continuity and went yeah, the you, new 52. You guys, you guys made me buy comic books. I never actually bought comic books before oh. that. And hearing you guys review Swamp Thing and shit like that, yep. I'm like, oh, I definitely and, need this. And my running, my running bit, I, I said to Andrew, I only want to do this one bit. You'll only have to make it for, uh, it'll never pay off. But I love Red Tornado. Like, I love the superhero Red Tornado. So we did the yeah. Red Tornado watch every week. We had a graphic, and then it would cut to us. And then I'd say, Red Tornado does not appear in any comic books this week. And we did it every week. And I think right at the end, there was, uh, like, a hint of maybe Red Tornado. And I lost it. And, like, this was the greatest day of my life. But it was so fun. Doing that with Andrew was a blast. Uh, so, like, around that time, though, you decided, like, to take your weight more seriously. Was there a specific moment? Uh, you know what? Katucci had just started doing the uh, You Gotta Eat Here show. Mm -hmm. And he was, like, we were talking on the phone one time. He was somewhere. And he goes, all I do is go to the restaurant and I eat. And I come back to the hotel and I sleep. And I, I'm just putting on the pounds. I can't, like, look at all the food I eat. Yeah. I can't eat like this every day. And I went, oh, I eat, I eat like that every day. And so then I started, it was like, I can't. And then uh, my brother had um, a little, a little guy. This was nine or 10 years ago. Now my brother had a little guy and was like, I was like, if I want to be there for all of him growing up and stuff, I've got to do something to make sure I stick around that long. Yeah. So I, I quit drinking I and I stopped eating like an idiot. Now, don't get me wrong; I'll go out and eat like an idiot occasionally, but it's just not every day now. Yes. And so uh, I went from way too much to probably way too little, and then I put on a bit of weight since then, and now I'm f happily fluctuating between uh, a couple of weights that I wish I was closer to the bottom end yeah. of it, but but everything still fits. And uh, and my wife's very happy, so I'm good. <laughs> Trust me, as a big guy, I understand the uh, the shirt sizes are not universal at all. Good lord, extra large means something else in every store, or a I, large. A large is an extra large yeah. in another store. Ugh. 
God. I, I I have a joke that I'm like, only big guys understand this, where there's some shirts that I can't catch a uh, football in because no. my belly will come out. A hundred percent. I have no intention of catching a football. There's a few. I wear them like pajamas in the house. I, I, I will not catch a football in that shirt. Uh, but like they are comfortable. And like if you stand on the right, like just you stand, nothing wrong. But as soon as you have a niche on your head, that flaps yeah, coming up. It's coming up, man. It's coming up. Wade Allen comments with the eye emoji. He's definitely a big dude that uh, understand <laughs> that. You're you're a big family guy. Like you don't have any of your own, but like you're always posting about like your nieces and nephews. Well, yeah. So my brother's got two little guys uh, that are 11, 11, 10 and nine, ten and nine, and then a stepdaughter uh, who's uh, seventeen or eighteen. Like she's in her okay. last year of high school, and I've known her like since she was like seven so it's i you know and and i've never called her anything but my niece uh and then my i don't have any of my own and it's just me and my brother and my immediate family but my dad is number six of 13 and so oh, jesus that whole side of the family the oldest of my cousins like the first grandkid is two months older than my youngest uncle and they went through school together like Ooh. like and there's always a picture there was all these pictures in the local paper years ago it's like tom and tony going down the slide on the first day of school and tom is tony's uncle um <laughs> so i always like a lot of families have like here are the parents grandparents aunts and uncles parents yeah. whatever and that family just sort of spirals <laughs> like we're all like i'm really good friends with my youngest uncle's kids i used to babysit them but like now we're like one they got married one got married we flew out for the wedding like yeah. we're all, and we text each other a lot like we're all tight and then i have an uncle that i'm tight with and then <laughs> the uh there i've got great grandkids that i chat with like it's just this massive family and then my mom's side is like she's the last of three and there's just not <laughs> as big of a deal but like my brother and i talk all the time we listen to the same podcast we crack the same jokes we make each other laugh and the boys, his voice think we're insane, which is fine. Uh, that's a silly uncle. When I was very, when they were very young, one of the first things that I cracked the joke and they just looked at me and went, silly uncle Mike. And I was like, that's yeah. And then I've got, uh, uh, my wife's got two little nephews and one of them is like coming up on three and he just said silly uncle Mike the other day. And I was like, oh, my job's done. Perfect. <laughs> just establish that and you're good. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, he's uh, he's really into because he had daycare and they sing all these songs at daycare. He's really into Wheels on the Bus. You know, Wheels on the Bus yep. go round and round. So I'll go. Oh, I know that song. Uh, the Wheels on the Bus go beep beep beep. <laughs> and he goes and he goes no round and round. <laughs> and I go oh oh not beep beep beep. He goes silly Uncle Mike. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, Actually, Warmack just joined us. You hey, we that. I just said about that time I managed Warmack. There you go. What's up, Kurt? So I do have a couple of uh, questions before head before you head out. Oh sure. Uh, starting, I didn't even. Uh, I I feel like I stopped reading this question of been a fan of wrestling, and it's kind of a more somber question, but in a good way. Sure. Uh, this one's from Ringside with Chops, James Weber. Ah yes. For, out of all your years, you have been a fan of wrestling. Has there ever been a time that you stopped watching for a while or just took a break from it? Yeah, it was uh, right after the Benoit thing. Right after the Benoit thing, I was like, I got to get out of this for a bit. Uh, and I, I took a, I, honestly, I thought I'd never watch it again. And then I think I took three or four months off. And then when I came back, I was like, it didn't stop. Nothing stops. And yeah. there were a few new people. I think that's when, like, Piper was managing Sean O'Hare for a bit. Okay. Uh, and so, like, I came back in, and there was interesting things happening. So I was like, oh, okay, new stuff. Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Did you did you say Benoit or Owen? Benoit. Okay. So then did you mention Roddy, or was that earlier that you took a few months off? Uh, no. Um, Roddy... Roddy Piper was managing Sean O'Hare on SmackDown for a like oh three, right? Oh three, something 04? like that. Yeah, yeah. okay. Like, and I then like had a had a feud with like Rikishi. I want to say, yep. All based on the Snooka coconut. It made no sense. <laughs> uh, but uh, but that like I quit right in round in there and came yeah. back into it. Um, but I yeah I I remember when Owen we my friend and I we were living up in New York and I picked her up and we went to watch that pay-per-view at a movie theater. 
and we watched it. He we lost our minds and I took her home and then I drove to my home and we just, and then she called and we were like just on the phone in the dark in our place. Like, what did we see tonight? And it was very, that was my first experience of, Oh wow. And then later on the Benoit thing was like, I'm out for a while, but I got, what brought you back? I don't know. I mean, I always liked it and I like seeing new, I like seeing new stuff. Like as much as I've seen everything, I do like seeing new, I like seeing something that surprises me. Yes. I want to be surprised. I, and I want to be, I don't want my intelligence insulted and I want to be surprised. Those are my two big things. Uh, from Wade, actually, favorite moment from Aftermath TV. Okay, so this wasn't on Aftermath, but Renee came to visit and she was on our show maybe like a year, year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And she came to guest on the show and she came, it was at the Rogers building. I'm old friends with Renee. That Renee was how I got the gig because she was leaving and recommended me because uh, okay. we were pals because of her doing comedy at comedy bar. And so uh, she recommended me. And so we're old friends and her and Jimmy are old friends. And she had, uh, she had never met Caroline and Anthony was there and they're old friends and everybody's great. And then we're all like, we're on the second floor. And there's a set of stairs that go down to the studio, but there's also an elevator. And at the time we're like, ah, well, four of us hop in the elevator and we go. Well, the four of us hop in the elevator with Renee and a WWE rep and uh, somebody from Rogers that's there to escort Renee around. And then the elevator gets stuck between the floors. And we are in that (laughs) elevator for 45 minutes. Anthony starts sweating through his shirt. (laughs) Renee's like live on Instagram, like, well, stuck in an elevator with these idiots, you know? And, uh, (laughs) It was hysterical. It was so funny and perfect for this weird show that gets to talk about wrestling in a very, I don't know, I want to say in a very weird way. Uh, Aftermath's a very interesting show. You know, years ago when Morrow was on it, WWE didn't know the show existed until Morrow swore live on the air. (laughs) And then all of a sudden they went, well, what's this show? And because of the deal they have with Rogers, they thought, well, maybe we should have a little control over the show if they're going to swear. And so uh, we have, um, I don't want to say it's a mandate. I think they watch like a month of us on fast forward. Like, uh-huh. I mean, if they ever watch the show, WWE, they're like, oh yeah, we know these guys. Yeah. Okay. Blah, blah, there's the Santino. We're fine. Yeah. And, um, but our, our little rules are like, we can't, I want to say, I can't say, I don't like what the writers are giving Nick to say. I have to say something like, I don't like the decisions Dolph Ziggler is making. Yeah. So I have to, but I can still criticize it and I can still say what I like about it, but I have to say it in the world of the show. We really only talk about what's on the show. Yeah. And so today we did our uh, online version from home of Aftermath. And I got to say like last week, I was like, what's wrong with tag teams? Why can't we have tag teams anymore? Every tag team is breaking up. And then this week I was like, why? Why do the rule-breaking anarchists of uh, Retribution hold the tag rope? And uh, why do they, like, the superstars of WWE are a sickness. Uh, Do you want a contract? Yes. The things that don't make sense are the stuff that I can't handle. It's it's very uh, interesting time period for pro wrestling right now. There are so many alternatives that you can you can find something that you enjoy. Like there's so much like you can be very negative and shit that you don't like in the world. But oh, why sure. not, why not just take that energy and promote what you do like? Yeah, and I mean I'm lucky we get to do wins and fails. So on the win, I'm like here's what I like, and then on the fail, it's like here's what I don't like. But again, I never come to it without a suggestion like I it's always like I didn't like it but I will give it some time or I hope this happens or maybe if this happens I'll like it better better but I'll wait I'll wait it out uh not a question but John McHale says hey Nug I bet you can't wait to get back to Barry Wrestling and see all of us fans again oh Barry Wrestling it's so fun uh I think (laughs) I think all there's an old um Keith Johnstone is an improv teacher at a Calgary. And a long time ago, he said in a workshop I did that pro wrestling and improv have a lot in common because an audience comes to an improv comedy show, pays their money to be, to be made laugh, like to, to laugh. They come yeah. to watch you make them laugh. And a wrestling fan comes to a show to boo bad guys, cheer good guys, and there should be a result. 
Because I'll tell you that uh, wrestling fans really don't like it when there's like a tie or a draw or a disqualification. They want a result. Yes. They want that fight to have an ending. And so in, in Barry, I lean into the I'm not a nice person. I, I, I lean into the fact that I'm a jerk. I turned on Lionel, who's one of Lionel Knights, one of their favorite guys in Barry. I, um, I joined up with Wheeler, uh, Jesse V. Uh, I've, I mess with Lionel in his matches and now I'm messing around to, to help, uh, Wheeler get the title up there. It's, it's fun, but I'm not doing that because like, look, I'm 46. Do I think WWE is calling me tomorrow? No, but WWE could find one of these guys, find one of you guys and bring them yeah. on. And so it's like, if the more I work with somebody and go oh i can help them i can help them do this i can help them get better i can help them be hated more or i can help line like i can turn on lionel and make them like lionel even more they hate me and they just want to see lionel kick my ass and when lionel does kick my ass it's going to be the greatest thing in the world <laughs> uh that's what i i just love that you get into it and it's very much it's just passion no matter what you have in your life it's even that whole if I'm just a dude in acting, as long as it's fun, you're still in the game. You're yeah. not taking yourself out. No, I, I mean, I have uh, some theater people in my life <laughs> that take themselves very seriously, and to which I'm like, well, you're, there's no theaters right now, so I don't know how serious <laughs> you can take it. Uh, but no, as uh, pay the bills, have a good time doing it. And that's honestly all I think. Whatever I do, I'm, as long as I'm paying the bills, I'm having a good time. And lastly, Diamond Jim Lowe, the uh, ring announcer from Diamond Harry. Jim Lowe. Uh, Mayor Tommy Shanks or Harry, the guy with the snake on his face. Nug can only choose one of the one of those roles to play, and the choice will define his acting career. Go. Tommy Shanks, Mayor Tommy Shanks. What uh, the idea <laughs> Tommy Shanks the the idea of being Harry the guy with the snake on his face, that's who he is. He's locked into that role. There'll yeah. be never a change. And There's then no Mayor Tommy Shanks, Tommy Shanks could get uh, unelected. He could be thrown out of office. And now what, who is Tommy Shanks? He's no longer mayor Tommy Shanks. So there's somewhere to go with that story. So uh, I like the mayor who's a big time guy down on his lock. There's a place to go for that. So I would pick mayor Tommy Shanks. Honestly, would... I'd pick Johnny LaRue, <laughs> but that wasn't a choice. So. Would, uh, would it be a series or a movie? Oh, uh, no, I don't think a series. Um, It'd be a short series, like a BBC series, like maybe okay. three or four episodes. Yeah. Because I think 20-some episodes, when a story can be told in a much shorter amount of time, I picture I think 10 that's to better. 12 episodes, like USA Network kind of show. Oh, sure. Like an AMC kind of thing. Yeah, because I'm picturing the second season, he becomes a congressman, and then he runs for, pre <laughs> he runs for president in the third oh, season. And, and doesn't get any of it. Oh, Never. no. He constantly fails, so he's trying oh, to constantly fails. bigger. But but makes the news for failing, and then he yeah. gets more popularity. And and he's definitely the Jesse Ventura route, where because he was a mayor once, he's always Mayor Tommy Shanks. Just just call me, <laughs> yeah, please. That's my father's name. Call me Mr. Mayor Tommy Shanks. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much, Nug. This has been great. Oh, thanks, Brendona. Anytime. This is great stuff. Uh, I love the show. I listen to the show. <laughs> oh, so God. Uh, I love hearing you have chats with the guys that I know. And then the guys that I don't know very well, I always learn a little bit more about yeah. when I listen. So plug whatever you want and then give me your favorite wrestling theme song so that oh. I can put at the end. Okay, uh, I'll plug whatever I want. I still do. We haven't put out an episode for a long time, but we have a podcast called Illusionoid with myself and two other guys from uh, Second City, Paul Bates and Lee Smart. We had a lot of guest stars, but we improvise and then a story and then we add sound effects and music and make it sound like an old timey radio show. So it's very Tales from the Crypt. Nothing ever works Fuck out. Yeah. I, there's, it's really stupid and fun. And there's like hundreds of episodes up online. So you I can feel find like that. every couple of years, I dive back into it for three or four episodes. Yeah. And I just fall off. But then I always forget the charms of it. Of the Tales from the Crypt is the best way to put it. It's just, it's, and we do it in one take. And then we really don't edit out a lot of stuff. So we fuck up and you can hear us laughing. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you can catch Aftermath on Sportsnet, but we're online right now because of this uh, COVID times. So we're on their YouTube channel. And every week we put up about three or four videos, wins, fails, predictions for next thing, uh, or just our opinion on stuff like this week. We talked about, you know, Dominic Mysterio is doing very well. Is there another uh, father offspring combo that everybody likes? Um, 
they, I let Anthony and uh, Jimmy, I was hosting today and I let Anthony and Jimmy go first. Of course they took the two I was going to say. So I had to just randomly, <laughs> that's the good thing about me going last is I could just make up a third thing. Uh, so there's that. You can catch them on, on Sportsnet's YouTube. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Nugnargang. And sometimes I say stupid things there, which are fun. And uh, that's it. Uh, you, I'll plug a million other things you can listen to, but listen to this podcast. And your favorite wrestling theme song. Okay. Uh, because I like, I like stuff with lyrics because they're always terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So uh, just this morning, RJ and Tarek were going back and forth listening to the Jimmy Hart's Nasty Boys theme where they sang in WCW. Yeah. We're the boys. Time for a nasty sensation. Get ready for Pity City. We're the nasty boys. We got a bad reputation. When you see the nasties coming, better change your direction. Everybody talks, but we know talk is cheap. You mess with the boys. We'll rearrange your team. We're the boys. We're the boys. We're the nine. We're the boys. Uh, it's terrible. Uh, I love the Red Rooster theme because it opens with a cockadoodle doo and then is just generic wrestler entrance music. So that makes no sense. <laughs> But my favorite is, uh, I'm sure it's been played on the show a million times, so I'm not anything new, but uh, uh, Steve Regal, Stephen Regal, A Real Man's Man. Okay, okay. That's a, this is the first time I've ever asked that question. He's a man. Such a man. Such a I don't I, yeah, I don't. No, I do. You know what? I do. I do have ring music, and I've Ooh. played it. I think only one time, and it's an edited down version of a song by Depeche Mode called "Never Let Me Down Again," and I like it because it sounds like an old wrestling show from the '80s music. Okay. But then it's all about I'm taking a ride with my best friend, and the lyrics don't make any sense. But it sounds a little sinister, and then in Barry, where I play it. They're very much country music, and it's 80s new wave, and instantly they hate it. <laughs> Can you please send me a link to this? Because now I think I'm going to tease all of these, like, little things, edit it oh, sure. a little bit. And then awesome. go, no, yeah. I do have music. So I do, thank you, yeah. Thank you very much for this, Nug. I you're hope you welcome, have a great man. day. You I hope too, you're buddy. staying healthy and safe. I really appreciate your friendship. Absolutely, buddy. I appreciate yours, too. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>